Okay, so hello everyone. Welcome to our bonus podcast. My name is Donatos Urbanas and uh, here's there's my colleague Ritis Vishnauskas. What's up, Ritis? Hi, Donatos. Hello, everybody. Well, first I have to start with uh, the big news about my Twitter account. <laughs> you, you actually <laughs> ruined my intro. <laughs> I, I had I, I, I had everything set, like the EuroLeague boss Jordi Bartomeu is on the hot seat. Yeah. NBA is uh, taking over European basketball. COVID numbers are increasing, but oh boy, what happened last week? Iritis is finally active on Twitter. Yes, my account, uh, it was created in 2011. Now it's finally active. Now I'm tweeting a little bit about sports. But it's just... Basically, this is on you and on Jonas. Uh, because you guys convinced me that I have to do this. I wasn't sure about it. Because i never been a Twitter person. But now you can follow me on Twitter. It's Riha41. 41 is not Dirk Nowitzki's number, by the way. It's... Okay. Dejuan Collins. Oh wow! So you like number forty-one in Jalgiris. You're a fan of porn and chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Shout well, out to Marcus Brown. DC was quite a character. It's fair to he say when, when he played in Konas, <laughs> and um, I was really. I wonder what he's I was doing really right now. A big fan of Dejuan Collins um, because of his antiques more than of his basketball skills. So that's why I chose number 41 when I played in every single amateur team. Wow. I uh, I played in amateur leagues in any tournaments. I was number 41 if that was available. Therefore, my Twitter account is now Riha41. Or just try to type Ritis Vishnauskas. Vishnauskas is yeah. probably much easier than try to yeah. you know make Riha uh, happen. I I was actually a bit disappointed uh, because I was expecting more basketball-related uh, tweets, but now I see that you're tweeting about Manchester United, then El Clasico <laughs> on the football field. Hey, that was a tweet about. I Will just Clyburn. have a Will Clyburn as a cheat code, and and that's it. So I hope that you know the balance will be different. More I'm on just basketball getting side. started, you know, but uh, I must admit uh, it will be more or less fifty-fifty. It will not be a Euroleague-based account. You'll see a lot of tweets about football. That's who I am. That's not <laughs> what I was expecting, actually. But you, anyway. you, were, you were putting pressure on me, and Jonas was saying, but dude, you can, know, you can tweet about football as well. I, I, I was like, who cares what a Lithuanian has to say about football? Who cares about his opinions? He says, but if, if these will be like great... It's great like opinions, some great guy thoughts. from Sweden tweets about basketball, probably something like that. Even well, if that even guy worse. is Jonas Jurepko, then yeah. it's relevant. But if it's a random dude, then probably not. But I said, okay, man, I'm a diehard sports fan. I feel I have something to say, so why not? Let's no. let's give it give it a try. Fans were really happy uh, about you and about this move. Uh, so yeah, we'll be following your uh, Twitter account closely. This on this podcast, we will. Uh, discuss the main events uh, of the previous EuroLeague week. Also, we have a double round week uh, uh, this week, and we will talk about, let's say, top things to, to watch uh, this week. But also, before discussing all these uh, EuroLeague action uh, things, we have to move even two elephants out of this room. And uh, first of all, we have to uh, start with NBA coming to Europe, uh, taking control of European basketball and stuff like that. Last week, it all started with uh, the news, which kind of uh, were shouting that, oh, this is it, NBA is coming to Europe. Adam Silver is almost buying the EuroLeague and doing some big project with FIBA, and it's a basketball revolution. 
after a few days, <laughs> there are some things which we need to clarify. First of all, uh, at least it was reported on Eurohoops. It was denied that NBA is coming to Europe right now. Uh, it was also denied that NBA is thinking and considering having something like NBA Africa project in Europe. So no NBA Europe project uh, at all. Uh, there was a meeting between NBA, FIBA, and EuroLeague, but it was not focused on creating a new European league or conference. But it was, again, some some discussions about let's unify European basketball and let's make probably one league instead of, instead of all these four or five leagues uh, over there uh, on international competition stage. So it's not like Adam Silver is coming out that room and, and saying, guys, uh, stop talking about the EuroLeague, stop talking about the FIBA Champions League, we have new NBA product it's not happening uh, rick so yeah this is this is what we needed to say but uh, let's make this situation in hypothetical scenario do you even imagine some like common sense for all these different basketball roles because these two worlds in my eyes i just don't see that happening well you know uh, the professional basketball in europe is established already uh, you have clubs, you have traditions, you have tournaments, you have players with big contracts. Uh, I don't see NBA creating a development league in Europe. You can successfully do that somewhere in Africa where club-based professional basketball barely exists. You can always try some things with China. Okay, now the relationship between NBA and China is not so good, but in the past we know that they were treating CBA sort of one of their development leagues, it's not really possible to create something like that in, in Europe, like a conference or a division for NBA players' development. Um, so for me, what was interesting when when these rumors broke out, it was Marca spreading these rumors. And we all know what Marca is. It's a media outlet that spreads the word of Real Madrid. Florentino Perez, uh, the president of Real Madrid, in the recent years was very, very active pushing this Super League idea in football, which means it's a commercial league that creates revenue, the clubs control the finances. And so these news about NBA cooperating with FIBA and creating a new league in Europe sort of legitimizes the idea of a Super League, that we can create something from scratch, clubs will be there, and there will be TV rights, revenue, and everything will be great. So this coming from Marca is kind of suspicious to me, that these rumors were spread, it was not a coincidence. Of course meetings happen between Adam Silver and FIBA's people. Of course they happen. It's a but basketball it was, world. Yeah, it was like 10 and 15 years ago when we were already discussing about an European NBA division in Europe and something yeah. like that, trying to connect all these walls, but it's just not happening. It's kind of hard to imagine a, a league with salary cap and every other American rule working here in Europe. EuroLeague tries to create something like that, but still these clubs playing their national championships. And I believe there was a survey for GMs whether they need to play in the national leagues or not, and the majority voted that they need to play in the national leagues. For example, the Spanish clubs, 
the revenue they generate from uh, the income from the ticket sales and also TV rights in the Spanish ACB in Liga Endesa is probably the same or even bigger in comparison to what they get from from EuroLeague. So I don't see this uh, happening in any any form, any shape or form. Uh, if EuroLeague expands to, let's say, 24 clubs in the future, you can talk about a closed division where clubs only play in EuroLeague and nowhere else because you would have like 46 regular season games. But that's just something for the future, uh, an idea which is not happening right now. I'm not sure what, what were all the meetings about and what Adam Silver had to say and what he had to offer. But we are sure about one thing, that uh, Jordi Bertomeu probably is in charge of his final season. Yeah, sooner than later he will be out. Uh, EuroLeague teams are working this way and some sources say that, some sources suggest that uh, Jordi might be out of the EuroLeague even in the upcoming weeks, uh, but probably it's more likely that it will be a long process when at the end of the season, you know, just probably for the sustainability of the project, uh, Jordi will be announced, uh, you know, resigning uh, from the EuroLeague and something like that. And that's probably the next uh, thing which was weird uh, in terms of these, uh, all these NBA uh, news uh, because the timing was really weird. It's probably is not a coincidence when everybody is talking about Jordi out, everybody is talking about uh, uh, EuroLeague having you know different opinions on their future, having all these talks about Jordi and stuff, and now you suddenly you have news about uh, NBA Adam Silver uh, watching European market closely to start some some new project. So I don't know, maybe it went from FIBA side, you know, just to make just to add some pressure. Uh, maybe there were some uh, other sources who just wanted, you know, to turn things around and just to, to change the focus of all the attention we had in Europe. But all this week was very, very weird. But yeah, what's what's sure that Jordi is, is uh, about to leave uh, the EuroLeague, and there are a few reasons uh, behind behind this move because you know it's it's not a casual move. Uh, Jordi was the boss of the EuroLeague since since the beginnings uh, in two thousands, and uh, um, there are a few reasons why EuroLeague teams want Jordi out. Few reasons uh, stands behind the economical reasons. I would say uh, there was a great report on Gazeta by Costas Milais, uh, we, where he published uh, some financial numbers behind uh, uh, all these uh, speculations, and it, it was reported that, uh, for example, some Euroleague teams right now um, they have their earnings um, around. 3.5 million euros, for example. And they did a research, they did made some calculations where they expect to increase all these revenues, revenues to 10 or 11 million euros. It's something like, you know, 150 or 200% of uh, increase of incomes. Also, there are some um, strange situation, there's strange situation with TV rights. Uh, for example, Greek TV station, uh, Greek TV stations are paying uh, something around 11 million euros. Meanwhile, in France and Russia, all these uh, TV rights were sold only for 300,000 euros. And uh, the thing is that 
this you know money pool is divided to all teams and probably it's not really fair uh, for Greek teams or for Russian teams to get money from Greek TV station uh, uh, TV rights. Uh, also, there were other reasons. For example, Turkish Airlines name, Euroleague's uh, name after Turkish Airlines for a six million euro deal per year, according to that report. And the Euroleague teams made calculations that uh, the main sponsorship uh, place location uh, could give you know you around 25, 30 million euros instead of five millions. So these are just few of the reasons why they want some changes. And one of the reasons, which is uh, let's say like a public secret, Euroleague teams are publicly talking about uh, things like uh, uh, some suspicious, suspicious uh, financial operations uh, ran by Jordi Bertomeu. There are some suspicions uh, if if everything is clear, if uh, uh, there are no issues with transparency and stuff. So, I mean, and finally, they have some proofs, let's call it, and sooner than later uh, the changes will be uh, official and we have already have few names of potential let's say new Euroleague uh, CAO and um, I think Eurohoops reported that it's uh, between Marco Pesic and Polius Mateyunas and as far as I, I was doing a research about Mateyunas uh, some some people around him told me that he was always uh, Let's say he always dreamed about possibility to run the Euroleague, uh, let's, say, let's say, in the long term. Uh, maybe that kind of possibility came, you know, sooner than he expected. And he's he's one of the owners of Zalgiris team, so it would make things difficult for him, you know, to step down as one of the Zalgiris owners. Probably he, he would need to share, uh, to, to sell his uh, shares of the club. And since we know he's a big fan of the club, he, he loves this club and it's uh, everything for him. It's hard to imagine him switching from Zalgiris to Euroleague, but m- he might find some, you know, solutions to go to, you know, to be a leader of the uh, Euroleague, but at the same time to keep some ties, at least unofficial ties uh, with Zalgiris club. So a lot of interesting things happening around the Euroleague. Well, in my eyes, it's kind of a normal procedure because Euroleague at the moment op- operates as a company as a business which has its shareholders meaning the clubs with those a licenses and if the shareholders are not happy with their ceo they're free to replace him this is what's happening so the shareholders are replacing a ceo of a company it's a normal and standard procedure and yeah polis motiunas the only difference is that uh since it's let's okay, we cannot call it Jordi's league because yeah. Euroleague is a league of teams. Jordi is a he helps to run the process, but he's not the league. But since Jordi was there from the beginnings, let's say mm, some some people say that uh, he put some uh, let's say uh, bureaucracy things which helps him to keep his place, uh, let's say safer than every other CEO position, uh, but let's call it. In the end, he created a system in which the clubs become shareholders of the company and yeah. they are, they can replace the CEO. They they control their decision-making. If the clubs, the shareholders... Yeah, now they're getting even something. more control after all yeah. these secret so meetings and stuff. In the, in the past, of course, it was Jordi Bertomeu building this EuroLeague basketball empire. Now he can be replaced quite easily. And Paulus Motiunas, as you mentioned... He was chosen as the best uh, best GM in Europe, I, I believe, last year. He was two times. Two times in a row. Yeah. 
uh, well, you can't say that uh, Shara's helped a lot in winning this award, but he did a lot of good things uh, not related to basketball as a game they play on the court, but growing Jalgiris organization in a way of from a uh, business standpoint, commercial potential, uh, attracting sponsorship, uh, doing all these good things with fans, uh, so you can do a sold out every single week before the pandemic, and it makes sense probably that he is being considered. But as you said, there might be some difficulties for him to move uh, and leave Jalgiris. Uh, Marco Pesic, in this case, he is a sporting director in uh, Bayern. He's not an owner of a club. He's a sporting director. Of course, he means a lot to Bayern Munich, but it is easier for them to release and replace Marco Pesic and for him to make this transition from Bayern to to being the head of the EuroLeague. But let's just wait and see what happens. Yeah, and let's just uh, talk about the last EuroLeague week events. But before, we have to uh, introduce you our sponsor. Uh, it's NordVPN. Uh, VPN stands uh, for Virtual Private Network, a service that protects your internet connection and privacy online. It creates an encrypted tunnel for your data, protects your online identity by hiding your IP address and allows you to use public Wi-Fi hotspots safely. But in other words, uh, NordVPN, I use the NordVPN uh, for quite some time and it helps me to watch some uh, games, for example, uh, which are not uh, provided for some regions. Uh, for example, uh, I can watch uh, FIBA Champions League games uh, on YouTube, uh, while our regular Lithuanian internet uh, user, uh, network user, he cannot watch all these games. Uh, so you can choose different locations which you want to, you know, get connected uh, through the uh, virtual private network tunnel. Let's call it, uh, and. Uh, I can watch some, uh, for example, you can watch uh, Netflix uh, uh, through NordVPN and you can see uh, The Office uh, in, in Europe, although it's it, so far it was only you know pr presented for American um, viewers. Also, you can read some uh, US articles, uh, which are, again, you know, protected only for their own region. So it's a great, uh, great tunnel to reach more content uh, for free. And to make a long story short, you can access ESPN Plus. Oh yeah, for example, one of one of the great advantage NordVPN NordVPN can offer, and actually, uh, since they are our uh, sponsors, uh, we have a great deal for you. Uh, you can go nordvpn.com slash urbonus and you will get a two-year plan plus four months for free. And the best thing is that they have a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't like their services, you just can get your money back. You can cancel yeah. the service and and that's it. But in general, for all the basketball fans, it's it's a really good thing. And not only for basketball fans. For sure, I agree. And we've been to China in the World Cup, so... Oh yeah, <laughs> that would be a time saver, life saver in China. Yeah, both for uh, using uh, WhatsApp apps, uh, Google, and a lot of stuff. You have to work with social media when you're there, and there's no other way to access Facebook, Instagram, and all, all the other social media services. So, yeah, that's a life changer for all, the, all these American players uh, playing in, sure. in, in China. As long as you're not Ty Lawson and you. You You're not banned you, from China. You carefully choose the content you upload. <laughs> you can survive. And as Kantar is also not coming to China soon. Well, that's a different story. But as as, as for Ty Lawson, well, 
you have to think before you post something on social media. <laughs> and the best thing about NordVPN is that they are completely legal. I mean, no illegal stuff or anything like that. And uh, again, I use their services and so far I'm, I'm really happy about that. We can go talk about your league things. Finally, the games. Finally, the games. I'm not a fan of these discussions about uh, new leagues and bureaucracy and what happens in the offices. I always enjoy talking about what happens on the court. So now it's the fun part. Finally, FS yes. are winning games. Champions got their first win against Unix Kazan. I'm not, sure about, was I'm not sure about plural games. I would say game. Yeah. Because another Istanbul derby in the Turkish league. Yeah, they lost against Galatasaray too. Yeah. Man. But at least the first victory in the EuroLeague. It was a tough one, to be honest. It was more of a defensive victory. We knew that Vasemitz is not going to play. So the first idea was that probably Shane Larkin is going to dominate the game. Many people bought Shane Larkin to their fantasy teams for the purpose of... I was the one who bought Vasilya Mitsuch, actually. And I didn't have time, you know, to, to change okay, to so change him before so the round. So you were left with an injured MVP. Yeah. At and least he was not my captain. I so. was the one who joined the Shane Larkin bandwagon. And... He did not deliver, to be <laughs> honest. It was not Shane Larkin's great performance, but they had Elijah Bryant, and it's a great debut for him in his new team. He was a major reason why they actually won this game, but as I said, it was a tough win. It was a defensive type of game, and they only won it by 3 points, 71-68. Yeah, and they made some crucial uh, shots in the fourth quarter um, in late clock situations. And Unix were missing some some luck, some mm, smarter decisions, and they, I mean, FS were really close to losing uh, the fifth game in a row. But yeah, Elijah Bryant was one of the reasons they uh, managed to survive. Thirty-two minutes, second most after Rodrigo Bobois, who played thirty-eight, fourteen points, five of eleven uh, field goals. Four rebounds, zero assists, three turnovers. But uh, what I like the most about Elijah Bryant that he was super aggressive. Uh, he was super active from the um, first minute on the court, and uh, I, it didn't feel like he was a newcomer. Uh, neither in this league, neither in this team, and I was like feeling quite okay him running, running the FS offense and stuff. He was playing like Shane Larkin or something like that, and. He, it was a big, huge difference comparing him to other uh, NBA players uh, coming to Europe, starting from AJ Mayo, Kenneth Farid, uh, Yogi Ferrell, and uh, Troy Danielson. All, We're still all waiting for Shabazz Napier, who yeah. could be the good one. Uh, but uh, Elijah Bryan, he is covering now for Kruno Simon as well as for Vasa Michis, who is out. So uh, their big three is Bryant, Bobois, and Larkin. Um, the problem with FS is turnovers, in my opinion, careless turnovers. And in this game, it starts from Shane Larkin. He had six turnovers. We know that Vasa Mitic in the previous games they lost also was turning the ball over quite a lot. Uh, as I said last week, I'm not worried about FS. It's going to be okay, but you have to take care of the ball. Uh, they're sixth uh, in turnovers at the moment in the league. 14 per game, too much. You just have to take care of the ball. You have experienced players, experienced ball handlers. You have to get better at this. Uh, but yeah, 
Unix Kazan was was in the game. They were staying in the game. In my in my opinion, Lorenzo Brown was dictating the tempo. He was a a true floor general in this game, and it was much better in comparison to the previous game they played in Turkey when they were trashed by Fenerbahce. So it, this time they were competitive. But the first win is always very important. Like. Uh, psychologically, mentally, you get the pressure off your shoulders. Now you can move on. Now it's a double week. You can go on a winning streak, as I predicted. Uh, Tibor Plyce was a difference maker also. This time, uh, Ergin Ataman chose to play with him as the main center. In the starting lineup, it worked. He played 20 minutes, scored 12 points. He was aggressive, attacking uh, in the paint. And right now, as we can see, when the team is struggling, uh, Ataman is really careful uh, with uh, the young center, Petrushev. You know, he's talented, but when the team is in a difficult position, it is more comfortable to trust your veterans. So Tibor Plyce is playing, and Brian Dunstan is playing, and Petrushev in the recent games only played a couple of minutes. Ataman was so active in that game. Uh, I remember... Uh, they were defend playing defense against. Ca I think it was Cannon, you know, and he was trying to make his uh, step back moves or something like that. And probably Elijah Bryant was defending him. And Ataman was like moving. His footwork was the same like Elijah Bryant. He was kind of you know showing how to how to stop uh, Isaiah Cannon one on one. So it was nice uh, to watch him winning the game finally. And talking about Unix, Unix, uh, this team is weird. S I mean, there are some. There are some times when I love them. For example, I love the potential of their big lineup. Uh, they started the game with Lorenzo Brown, who is 196. Hezonia, who is officially two meters, three centimeters, but uh, he told me that he's like two oh uh, eight. So and two away. Yeah, and I believe that because when you put him and Voroncevic, I think that Hezonia is even Same higher. Same size. And Voroncevic is uh, two meters and seven centimeter. Then they have Brantle, uh, 201, and Jakira, uh, 212. So it's a big, big lineup, and uh, it's it's uh, crazy how they can switch, how they can run the transition. And there were some good moments, especially from uh, Hezonia. I mean, <laughs> most of the game, FS played with matchups uh, of uh, Elijah Brand, sometimes Bobois was defending Hezonia. And I was actually missing uh, Velimir Perasovic to use this, the matchup uh, even uh, more often, especially in the fourth quarter, uh, because Hezonia had Elijah Bryant as uh, his uh, opponent. And, okay, Hezonia is not the best uh, low-post player, but, but when you have uh, Elijah Bryant or Rodrigue Bobois, uh, you can use him uh, on the post, because uh, from there he can create a shot for himself or he can pass the ball, which he was doing really well uh, during the game. But uh, during that uh, final break, he was just making some fadeaway shots, some three-pointers yeah. uh, and stuff. Although he can be really, really efficient. But again, Unix were missing some some um, cold nerves, uh, some smarter decisions and sharing the ball uh, in, in the crucial place. But as I said, Lorenzo Brown was good in this game. We saw finally we saw a good version of Isaiah Cannon. This is the way he played in Euro Cup. Uh, he's a scorer, he's a he's a shooter. And he's a streaky shooter, I would say. But the problem is that OG Mayo seems like a misfit. I know it's still early to judge. Maybe he needs more time. But I just don't see any place in this team for a player of, of that type. When you already have Brown, Cannon, and Hezonia, 
I don't see any reason for them to wait for OG Mayo to start playing better basketball. They could sort some other positions with that money and it seems like he's completely out of shape. I'm predicting not, I'm not predicting that he's gonna last until Christmas, until New Year, and, and probably he's gonna finish the season somewhere else. And yeah, not just that he needs time to adjust to European basketball, but at the same time he needs to he's get match fit. I mean yeah, he's out of shape. The first time he entered the court, it was probably the the end of the first quarter, and uh, after almost four minutes he was on the bench again. And he was all in sweat. And he couldn't catch Elijah Brandt, uh, for example, at all in, in transition. He forced shots. Uh, he made the Europe step against two defenders, some off-balance uh, jumpers and stuff like that. I mean, he, he was missing everything. And actually, when I saw him and when I, I when I have Elijah Brandt and when I watched the Yogi Ferrell, Kenneth Farid, we can remember Emmanuel Moudier. And with all these NBA players coming to Europe, it's so hard to adjust over there. It's a completely different world, and it's much harder than probably than they expected. And it's really, it really ne- takes a lot of time to finally get some, you know, some let's say efficient things uh, from these NBA players on the early courts. I would say it takes about a year for an NBA player to understand this different type of basketball. If you were a, a smart player, if you're really smart, it could take a couple of months. My example would be Derek Williams when he first joined Bayern. It's like first three games in EuroLeague. Turnover, traveling violation, bad decision on offense, uh, not rotating on defense. But in two months, he was a different player. He adjusted quickly. So this is a good example. For others, it could take a year, but not everybody lasts a year. For example, Emmanuel Moudier... OG Mayo, we're not sure if they're going to last the full season in their current teams. Kenneth Fareed, it's kind of a different story when you talk about a center uh, pick-and-roll type of player who needs to grab grab some rebounds. Uh, it should be a little bit easier. He he just has to understand the coach, the defensive system, whether when they're playing switch-all defense or when he has to drop to the paint. Uh, to understand uh, the way the fouls are being called in in Europe, it's it's kind of different. So, for Kenneth Freed, it should be a little bit easier. For these ball handlers, creators that should be the leaders of the team, it takes more time, and it's always a risky move to sign these type of players, uh, especially when they actually have been out of the NBA. We treat them as NBA players, but. Um, Kenneth Farid, OG Mayo, Emmanuel Moody, last season they were not playing in the NBA. They were barely playing anywhere. So it takes time not only to understand different basketball, but also to get back in shape. Shabazz Napier should be the good one, as I said, a good signing, but we're still waiting for him to come back and Zenit needs him. They're crying for Shabazz Napier to come back as soon as possible. Yeah, and the worst part is that uh, Xavi Pascal mentioned that they're not expecting uh, to get Shabazz Napier back f- um, for more than one month. So it took longer than they were expecting. In it. my opinion, they must sign somebody. And Connor Frank, I'm sorry. He had enough time you know, to prove himself, but he's not really He's not a, he's not a point guard. For Xavi Pascal to be a point guard, and then to be a point guard for Xavi Pascal, I mean, in his team, you need to be very good. He's not controlling the team. He can shoot the ball, but that's the only thing he can offer. At this point, Xavi trusts uh, Dimitri Kulagin more. Kulagin becomes their main point guard. And he didn't even play the last season. 
so they're not in a good position and uh, I'm not sure about their resources they should have some money and um, they need to sign somebody and I would say they would ideally they could add two players one to replace Frank Kamp and one in addition to what they have already while they're waiting for Shabazz Napier because I'm talking about Zenit and Barca this game probably doesn't need a lot of attention yeah. but I, I didn't watch that game but yeah I, I was working on that game so it was a lot of hype about this one because because of what happens in the happened in the playoffs last season because it's Xavi against Sharas before the game there was this um uh i don't 2010 uh, reunion team celebration. yeah yeah 2010 reunion all these champions of barcelona team were there in palau uh chavo pasqual as the coach these guys like uh victor sada roger grimao uh, jordi trias pete michael Razem lorbeck they were there it was a big celebration party before the game Sergio Busquets was there with his children watching the game Barcelona's football legend um, the stage was set for an epic game of basketball but it only lasted for uh, one quarter then Barcelona took over the game and then it collapsed exactly when Xavi needed to make substitutions with the starting lineup it was okay but then Kulagin was replaced, Frank Kemp was in, other guys were replaced, Jordan Lloyd was defended very well, he was struggling, and, and that was it. They were done. And the interesting thing for me from this game, it was a blowout. There's no need to talk about any tactics or matchups. For Barca, it was important to spread the minutes among the players because they had on Sunday a difficult game in Malaga. Now it's a double game week, so it was great for them to save uh, some energy. Mirotic played only 15 minutes, but... Uh, Garbage time came earlier than expected in the third quarter already. And Xavi Pascual was getting some new faces on the court. Mindogas Kuzminskas played a minute in the second quarter, made two bad decisions, was sent back to the bench, and never came back. So he gave a one sincere minute. I'm not on sure the if court. it was really that sincere, <laughs> but obviously Xavi was really disappointed with the Lithuanian forward. If he didn't even play with a second unit. And that was kind of a punishment yeah. for him. Probably. For him and for Karasov. Sergei uh -huh. Karasov oh. also stepped up, played kind a minute. the same position. Played a minute, disappointed the coach. And then on the court, we saw this young Russian guy. I'm not really, I don't really remember his name. I got to check it on the box score. I have his face on my... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will just check on the box score. It was Igor Volkin. Okay. Never saw him before. Never heard. He him played twelve, twelve, 12 minutes. So yeah, uh, a lot of problems for Zenit right now. The best thing for them is the result. They have three wins and only two losses. With the way they're playing, with the quality on offense, it could be a lot worse. And now it's a double week. So in this week, if they can get one from two, it would be good. I would say. Yeah, and uh, I think that they're playing against two Spanish teams, Real Madrid yes, and Basconia. But they're playing at home. So I can At imagine least. them winning one from two. I hope so, because this is a crucial uh, week for them. If they lose both games, they, they're dropping. And you remember uh, in our podcast before the season, in our predictions, mm. I was saying yeah, that Zenit is not going to make the playoffs, and some of my arguments were that last season they were too dependent on Kevin Pangos. Take Kevin Pangos away from them, and it, it's a different team. And now it's happening, and they're lacking their main point guard. They're waiting for Shabazz Napier, and in the meantime, they can be lo they can be losing games. 
And in the meantime, they won't sign anybody who will be a complete game changer. We see all these uh, newcomers yeah. coming to Europe and they're not playing any meaningful role so, so far. Right now, what they're showing for me, it's not playoff level. Maybe on of defense. Not. Maybe on defense, yes. Uh, because of Xavi and because of the players they have, they can be good on defense. But there's no consistency on offense at all. And coming back to all these uh, newcomers, uh, Kenneth Farid, he played only two minutes, but these minutes were <laughs> were just awful. I think that he entered the court in the fir- in the end of the third quarter, uh, and uh, mm, he played flat defense against Dorsey. Against Dorsey, yeah. he scored uh, beyond the arc, and then in in the next position, he made the offensive foul. Uh, after getting a rebound, so it's uh, not an offensive foul in this case because oh yeah they were in the bonus yeah and he 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 made a foul uh, fighting for a rebound and sent I believe Thomas Walk up to the line probably so in these two minutes from plus fourteen Cesca had plus nine something like that and Olympiakos uh, got back into game yeah <laughs> for Kenneth Farid he is just too strong for the Euroleague but you. Could uh, imagine something like this when you saw the rotations. Uh, Dimitri Saturius was trusting Joel Bolomboy, Voitman, and he wasn't playing Ken Farid at all in the first half. Uh, if Kenneth Farid um, would have left a good impression after first training sessions and the first uh, VTB game, Itudis would let him play earlier, surely, because there's no Shingeli, I know Militinov now. Uh, he thought... We're up by double digits. Maybe it's a good time to let our newcomer good feel, yeah. feel what the EuroLeague is all about. But it wasn't good. And immediately I thought the third quarter finished. No way Itudis is starting the fourth quarter with Kenneth Farid. That's it for him today. He needs to learn and move forward. But uh, yeah, what another American player that will have a transition period to learn the EuroLeague basketball. Hopefully he can become a good, solid rotation player for 12 or 15 minutes. But we will see. Uh, as far as I know, Milutinov is not so far away from a comeback. Could be two or three weeks. For Shengeli, it's a little bit longer. But as long as uh, Milutinov comes back, they have their main center. Bolomboy looks in, in good shape right now. But as you mentioned my tweet, as long as Will Clyburn is healthy, man, no problems for them winning games. I mean, Will Clyburn in this game. That was like a... Wow. Not just Will Clyburn. Dorset, the same. It was like watching Superman battling against Batman. Something like that. <laughs> but you know... Clyburn had 29 points. Dorsey had 32. Career high. 11 from uh, 14. Yeah. Uh, field goals. Uh, Clyburn was not so efficient. Uh, nine from sixteen, but still he was he was killing them when Olympiakos uh, had the last hope, you know, to come back. You know, Dorsey got hot, and it was a good shooting night for him. But Clyburn was doing everything. In Lithuanian, we call these players a human orchestra. Yeah, I mean, he played in the post. He was like LeBron James. He was the, facing really. his opponents. He was driving to the basket. He made some buckets, some free pointers, some end one plays. And the worst part for Olympiakos was that um, they were in control from the beginning. They won the first quarter 25-20. And then Bartzokas started his rotations. Dorsey's hot, but he's going to sit the whole second quarter playing like lineups the first lineup played the first quarter now the second lineup will play the second quarter and it was a disaster and he put 
Printesis on Clyburn, you saw from the first two actions that it's not going to work today. But it lasted for eight minutes, and Clyburn was just devastating Printesis in this matchup. Only in the second half, when they were already down by a lot, Bartzokas reacted and, and put uh, Livio Jean Charles, Charles in, how should I call him? Charlie, Charles. Ah. Pardon my friends. Uh, so he put him in and and he had a good game, but it was only in the middle of the third quarter. So, in my opinion, in this game, CSK was vulnerable with the, with their injury problems, uh, but uh, Bartzokas, his decision making was really strange, and I think uh, Olympiakos could have done a lot better in this game. But besides, I mean, we have to show huge respect. To for uh, CSKA Moscow. I mean... For Coach Iturius, first They don't have Schengelier, they don't have Milutinov, potentially all EuroLeague first team uh, members. They Grigonis still is out. Grigonis is out. They're still about to sign another uh, guard and they're kind of, you know, lacking four great, great, important players and they're facing one of the hottest teams in the EuroLeague and they were dominate, dominate, uh, dominating all game long, actually. So huge respect Except for the first, first quarter, I would it's, say. It's, it's hard to dominate all, all four yeah, quarters, but, but still, they were great. So I'm, I'm, I'm I do this so surprised. Finds, always finds a way, and this is what, the great thing about him. Last season, he proved to many people um, when he was facing difficulties, challenges, Lutinov injured, Mike James out. He found a way to change the game. They started playing a lot from the post. And now, again, they're dealing with injuries, but they adjust. They adjust the game plan. It becomes Clyburn's team. He he starts dominating. Also, I would like to give a shout-out to Ife Lundberg, who is playing a really solid season so far. Alexis Schwed, maybe he's still not very consistent. This game, I wouldn't say it was the good version of Alexis Schwed. It was Schwed. crazy to watch Alexis Schwed having an open look uh, from three and it seemed like somebody just pressed turn off button like you know his controller you're the <laughs> playstation you're the gamer you know, yeah, you know yeah, when yeah. when the battery is dying <laughs> i mean it was crazy he w- he just stopped he just turned around and just you know and he looked at the clock <laughs> and decided we need wow. to play till the wow. last seconds i want alexis Schwed never, back i it mean it would never happen in himki never ever ever his torsions or something i mean <laughs> something something is, r- is wrong he's like He's acting like a kidnapped person, but I, I I'd say he's okay. No, no, he's okay. As I mean, long as uh, he's on the, on the winning team and he's contributing, I mean, everything's okay. Looking at him, you couldn't say that he's unhappy or that he wants something more. He always looks unhappy, no? Even no, in he, him, he, when he was scoring, I wouldn't say he looks unhappy. He looks disinterested. Uh-huh. His body language, his face. Facial just the way he looks shred just, is but that's just how he is. He's yeah. chill. He's so relaxed. He's chill. Yeah, I like Alexis Shred to be honest, despite of everything that that uh, happened in the couple last couple of years in Himki. You like all these players, all these great scorers, uh, Mike James, uh, for instance. Mike didn't have the best game against uh, Basconia, nope. one from nine uh, from three. Monaco made only three three pointers out of twenty six. And they lost Basconia pretty badly, and the third quarter was the crucial uh, one. Actually, it all started with Mike James. He took two good shots. It was two Mike James regular shots, but at first, 
Shout out to our Lithuanian guys, Tadas Sedekerskis and Rokas Gedraitis. At first, Tadas Sedekerskis contested his step back uh, free really well. And then Rokas Gedraitis chased him down really well. He was under his skin and he, uh, you know, made his uh, mid-range shots uh, very complicated. And then on the offensive end, uh, Sedekerskis had a great uh, putback put layup. Gedraitis made a three-pointer and Basconia went for a... Uh, 20 to 2 uh, uh, running strike. And it was a great game for Jason Granger, uh, Simona Fontecchio, uh, your guy. But uh, it seemed for me, it seemed like uh, why I feel bad for Monaco that they finally met the team from their own league. If they want to be competitive for the top eight, they have to be teams like Basconia. But in crucial moments, they just lost their heads. Uh, for example, uh, uh, not only Mike James, uh, you know, not making all these three-pointers, but for example, Leo Westerman, we uh, appreciate him as a very experienced, matured, smart uh, floor general. But I hate when players act like this, when they expect foul, when they want a foul, but they lose the ball. And instead of running back to defense, they start chatting with the referee and you know it's two points easy two points uh, for for your opponent so there were too many uh, episodes uh, like that from Monaco side and they just lost their heads in the very important evening for them looking long term for the top eight uh, competition I would call this game a terrible shooting night because of the three point percentages Monaco three from 26 Basconia four from 20, but they were playing very good in the paint and pick and roll situations. And this is another thing worth mentioning. Donatas Motiunas, 10 points. You could look at a stat sheet and say he had a decent game, but the way he's being exposed on pick and roll defense, we're sort of predicting those things and they're happening. Every EuroLeague team is going to attack him aggressively. And this is what Basconia did. This is obviously it was Dusko Ivanovic's plan. And you mentioned other Lithuanian players, so Tadas Edekerskis once again deserves huge respect. 11 rebounds in this game. He's a hard worker. He does everything for his team. He does uh, all these tasks that the coach uh, asks him to. And uh, watching him this season in EuroLeague, it becomes even harder to understand how he didn't make the Lithuanian national team roster in the summer. I just don't get it. But Gitis Masulis made the roster. <laughs> I mean, for me, it's difficult to understand. It's okay, it's a different team, different coach, different ideas. But uh, when you have this type of player in EuroLeague who's doing everything exactly what Dusko Ivanovic wants from him, how can he not play for Lithuanian national team? Hopefully now we have Kazis Maxvitis as a as the head coach and Tadas will get his chances set. I think he will. Because it's proving that he can be sort of a glue guy on the team when it comes to defense, rebounding, and all these other things. Yeah, at least 11th or the 12th guy on the roster. At, at the very least, yeah. Uh, so I also watched and enjoyed a lot. I think that Asphalt game against Milan was the best game of the week, actually. Because it had so many great uh, things. Uh, give me a second. Yeah, so... We had a, you know, basketnews.com, uh, we have a, our own top five after every night. And four of five top moments were from that game. It uh, had Sergio uh, behind the back uh, pass. It was a great behind the back pass. Also, uh, Antoine Dio just uh, lost his mind. Uh, probably he has some 
problems with his eyes. I mean, he needs contact lenses or you know uh, glasses or something because I don't know if 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 you see that uh, if you saw that moment, but with. In the end of the third quarter, with seconds, uh, with seven seconds uh, to play, in the end of the third quarter, he got the rebound and he threw it, you know, all over the court because he thought that you know the qu- quarter is finishing. And but the thing was that they had seven uh, seconds, so Milano grabbed the rebound. They went for a quick uh, possession, and Nicola Melli made a, a buzzer beater. So this is the J.R. Smith syndrome, <laughs> where, where you forget yeah. forget the shot clock and the game clock, or you just switch off. Yeah, and again, I mean, uh, Milano bounced back from a 16-point uh, deficit. Devon, Devon Hall had a game-winner. Uh, Elio Kobu had another amazing game. So it and was these were only points uh, of the game for Devon Hall. Yep. Game winner. Yep. Be- yep. Before yep. that, yep. he missed everything. And yeah, Helio Kobo, my man. He's, He's my man this season. He and all Asphalt team, I mean... This is a team to watch. This is a player to watch too, and it's a team to follow if you like. Uh, I didn't think they're going to be this exciting. No, no, I no, no, no way, so, no way. But Elio Kobo playing uh, as an elite guard in the Euroleague, even though it's his first season in Euroleague. Yeah, that's one of these great examples. But okay, of course, he's, he's a European player. Yeah. It's a little bit different. Before going to the NBA, he already played in France, so he understands the rules of European basketball, the court the way it works and uh, he's playing smart and as i said in as i said last week and i can o- can only repeat it now his shooting numbers 58% from downtown 63.5% uh, from two point range wow and he's and taking he's, really and hard he's shots he's scoring 18 points per game and he's taking a lot of shots a lot of difficult wow. shots great step backs uh, i love the moment where he ran through four defend four Milano defenders. He has kind of, you know, Muhammad Ali footwork. And they try to contain with uh, much more aggressive defensive approach in the second half, but they just couldn't stop Still him. Still very young. He's 24, 25, something like that. There's so much potential now for him in Europe. His birthday was two days ago. Uh, imagine like the French national team. Let's see, Nando De Colo probably still has a couple of years in him if he wants to Please play. Please as a backup, yeah. Evan Fournier and Elio Cobo as your shooting guards. My God. <laughs> My God. And wow. what I li- like about Asphalt uh, also, they have Chris Jones, uh, who has an impressive season so far. I mean, he went from uh, 7 points per game in Maccabi and to 16 points per game in Asphalt. Uh, they also give opportunities for young players, not only Vembanyama, you know, he's on, on their roster, but all other guys, and Takumbo, uh, other, other, other players. They have nice veterans like David Lighty, Dior, James Gist. They have Tony Parker behind the team. His brother TJ is, is doing a great job. So it's a team to follow. I didn't expect that uh, I will uh, well, say we, so many good things about them for the season. We said that they were exceeding expectations last week and now they were so close to beating Milano that we called the hottest team in Europe last yes, week. we called it the best team in Europe, they actually. They should have lost this game, to be fair. Messina also agreed. I mean, yeah. he thought that th- this game they is over. should have lost this game, so... Hats off for us well. And moving on to other games, uh, the one I watched and was really interesting, uh, Real madrid Fenerbahce. Djordjevic's team was in control. And I would say throughout 40 minutes, they were the better team, but they somehow found a way to lose it. 
Of course, in the end, there was a coach's challenge, very successful Pablo Lasso's coach's challenge for the unsportsmanlike foul on LSN. Uh, the referees uh, watched the replays and they gave the unsportsmanlike foul. I think that was the first time, I mean, they won the challenge. I mean, the, the coach won the challenge. Maybe so, maybe so. Didn't see all of the games, uh -huh. but from those that I Somebody saw... Somebody was yeah. sharing stats with me, uh, one of the our uh, listeners, and I think that exactly that last uh, call was... So it worked. Uh, later on, Djordjevic lost his temper, got a technical foul. So Real Madrid got some points from the free throw line. In this game, Real Madrid uh, was without uh, Walter Tavares, which, which was an interesting story because uh, on this day... Uh, before the game, uh, his wife was about to give birth to a baby, and uh, Edith Tavares went to her, went with her to hospital. And as Pablo Lasso said after the game, um, I texted him and asked him, "Can you make it to the game?" He said, "I will see." And uh, I said, "No pressure. This is a very important uh, moment in your life. If you cannot make it to the game." It's fine by by me. It's fine for all of us. So Tavares said, I'm not going to be there, boss. And later, Vincent Poirier said that I texted him, I got this. I'm going to play for both of us. And Poirier had a career-high night uh, in rebounds, grabbing 17 boards, even though it was not a perfect game for him on offense. He only scored five points. Uh, but yeah, so it's, it was a probably... Biggest night in his life for Eddie Tavares. Do you think it's normal that the player misses the important yearly game? Do you have kids? Because of that? Do you have kids? <laughs> wow, great question. Great question. <laughs> You're about to have one, yeah. right? <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's important. Oh, my God. Yeah. But, yeah, it was because uh, I jumped to this game straight from uh, my previous uh, broadcast, and I, I actually missed uh, part of the first quarter, so I didn't know where Walter Tavares is. Mm. I thought maybe he got, got hurt. He's not playing, but there were no reports before the game COVID about an injury. Yeah. He was, he's not there. He's not in the gym. I didn't know. Only after the game, I found out in Pablo Lasso's TV interview that it's actually a special moment. And Vincent Poirier also made clutch game-winning free throws. So he joked about um, that in, in the future, when we have these sort of games, uh, the coach will draw up a play for me to get the ball when when we are about to be fouled because I'm a clutch free throw shooter, <laughs> although he's not. <laughs> but Fener, they should feel really bad about this one. They should have won this game in Madrid. They were the better team. Uh, Real Madrid was in the game because of their offensive rebounds and three-pointers. They took 36 three-point shots, made 13. Some of those were very difficult shots. Uh, buzzer beaters uh, beating the game clock, for ex uh, the shot clock. For example, Fabian Coser closed the second quarter and the third quarter with uh, three-pointers. Uh, Fenerbahce, I mean, they had the Colo sharing the ball. They had Vesely playing a good game on defense. He stopped Kershon Yabusele completely. Yabusele was basically out of the game in this case. His numbers were lowest so far this season. But Fenerbahce lost. It was very frustrating. You could see from Djordjevic's um, press conference that he was really annoyed about this loss. Uh, they already lost in Athens yeah. with two unsportsmanlike fouls in the end of the game. And they lost the lead. Now something similar happens here in Madrid. Those were two games they could take, and they would be four to one, something like yeah, that. Yeah, they would be very Crazy. high in the standings. They would be in the top, top five, top six. And just 
you know, just for the listeners, don't take my question about is it normal to have uh, to, to miss the early game because of all these reasons uh, seriously. And actually, it's of course it's a joke of legendary Shorunas Yesikavichus press conference. Yes, yes. And I typed Yesikavichus, and first suggestion is Yesikavichus birth subtitles, Yesikavichus family <laughs> subtitles, Yesikavichus China. Why? Why it's like that? Oh, he had twenty three points in Olympic quarterfinal in two thousand eight. Wow, <laughs> interesting suggestion. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember, of course, this press conference. It went global. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay, so pretty much it, right? And uh, to wrap uh, the previous week things up, we have a uh, from zero to hero, something like that. This is something I came up with. Uh, every week we should do this. Uh, we choose our hero and we choose our zero. Yeah. So you can start. Let's start with the positives. Listen, your hero of the week. I have a cheat code. I have Devon Hall as my uh, from zero to hero guy because he was a, he was a complete zero in that game. Minus, he was minus to be honest. Yeah, he had zero <laughs> points. He he was a zero from five uh, in twenty minutes, and his player index rating ranking was minus six until these last seconds of the game it was like he made a crucial three-pointer to save the game for milan with 23 seconds left of course it went after kyle hans i think that he got the defensive rebound it was either melee or kind kyle hans but yeah devon hall showed why he was why he's so good because he always had that body language he's always so calm and all game long he was he was playing okay game but he was missing just some luck it, it was like you know he had some good open looks. The ball was, it seemed like the ball was in, but he was actually out. He had some deflections uh, on his passes. But finally, when it all mattered, he, he made a three-pointer and won the game for, for Milan. So this is my from zero to hero guy, actually. So he covers both. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, I have two separate people. First of all, my hero of the week is Vladimir Lucic. Oh, yeah. Out of nowhere. Vladimir Lucic makes a comeback. Nobody expects him to play in Kaunas. Even Jargiris. The night before the game, Juras Dovs was telling that, according to their intel, yeah. he's not playing. There he is, starting as a power forward in the fourth position, taking Polis and Kunas out of the game immediately and causing trouble to Jargiris all night long, playing 33 minutes, uh, keeping Bayern in the game when they were horrible in the first half. Uh, they were down by 12 after two quarters, but uh, by the way they were playing and they were losing rebounds, they should have been down by like 20, I believe. And Vladimir Lucic uh, also doing the Serbian things, uh, getting his free free throws because of... Although it was, it was a clear foul. I mean, we talked with you some so? experienced Lithuanian referees and he uh, they told that they explained everything. It was a clear foul. Don't you think that he really put his leg there? Uh, maybe the a bit, maybe a bit. I wouldn't Both call, legs. I wouldn't call say. this flopping or cheating, but it's something smart landing. It's something that's really smart, and yeah. it's something that, uh, for example, is being done in the NBA for for years by James Harden, and it influences rule changes. Mm -hmm. So now James Harden is not getting any calls at all playing in in the NBA, and he's frustrated. But he is the one who made all these rule changes because yeah. he was driving the referees crazy. And this foul call, I, I'm not really sure, okay? If the experts are saying so, yeah. I'm not a fan of that call, me, fine by but me. that was according to rules. But it's just one play, and Vladimir Luchis was making big plays uh, all game long. And as he admitted, uh, he bounced back from COVID. Yeah. He still it was feels... his first game after 
more than one month. And even Trinchieri uh, was getting ready to use him for maximum 10 or 15 minutes. He played 32 minutes. Crazy. He couldn't catch a breath after the game. Yeah, he said he's still feeling some consequences in his lungs, his breathing, and he's still not in his best shape. But we know that Lucic is a tough guy. Oh, yeah. He's now 32, very experienced. He's been the leader for Bayern last year when they were making this playoff run. And him coming back on the court is crucial. And it's the first win for Bayern. If not for Lucic's heroic comeback, I'm not sure if they would have taken this one. Mm -hmm. Because it was a really bad first half. They responded in the second, but Jalgiris was fighting. And it was decided in the very last second. So my hero of the week, definitely, Vladimir Lucic, for the uh, epic comeback he made. So your zero? My zero of the week, I hate to say it, because I like his team so far, but it's Jorgis Barzokas. Okay, okay. I already mentioned why. Yeah. And it kind of disbalanced the team. It killed the flow these rotations and substitutions when Dorsey plays the first quarter and he's hot and he sits the whole second quarter. Slukas plays the whole second quarter, but it's not working for him. You see that he's struggling. Uh, the pick and rolls and everything is not working. Printezis is put on Clyburn and he is suffering, but that that's going on for like eight minutes until the coach reacts. Better in-game management was needed. If you want to be Dimitri Setudis, you need in-game management. You cannot play with set rotations that you're going to play the first quarter, you're going to play the second quarter. It doesn't matter the circumstances. I'm going to stick to that. It was too late to react in the middle of the third quarter trying to save the game. So I think Bartokas is a great coach. I think Olympiakos is a great team. But in this particular game, I was uh, disappointed. And uh, I have to make him the zero of the week. For these decisions, yeah, your your take about Bartsokas reminds me two, uh, I wouldn't say crucial timeouts, but uh, let's say uh, interesting timeouts in Konas. First of all, it was Jargris timeout before that uh, late Mantas Kalnietis uh, three point uh, three pointer in the end of the game. It was so weird because for US Dots, it took like more than forty seconds uh, to think about the next uh, set for the last possession. He picked the the five players on the court. He benched Ulanovas and he puts uh, Kalnietis on the floor, although he didn't play all four quarter. But the thing is that he was not making uh, or showing any set play for his team until uh, refs come uh, came, you know, to invite the team to enter the court again. So it was very, very, very Drawing last. Up something very quickly. Yes, yes, yes. And as we saw on the court, it was a. Uh, Terrible possession for no, Jarger to terrible save the game. Kalnietis, three-pointer. But that's another, another thing. Uh, I don't have anything to say more about uh, Barzokas. Uh, it's probably a lesson to be learned. But uh, about Zdovts, uh, why Kalnietis didn't actually play in the fourth quarter? And why? Like, I've just played all four quarter because he definitely needed some rest. And he looked fatigued. He looked tired. And, and Kalnietis was not that bad at that game help. at all. Kalnietis was okay. And yeah, I, yeah. I really thought his... his saving his energy for the last four or five minutes mm. to be there on the court, but he wasn't. And when you play with only one creator and it's Lukas Lekavicius, it's going to be hard to finish the game like this. And then you put Kalnietis for the last possession. He's cold. He was sitting on mm. the bench for more than 10 minutes. What do you expect? Strange. Another thing, uh, well, yeah, we mentioned this uh, Lucic uh, foul call. Uh, do you think Otello Hunter kicked the ball from Lekavicius' hands? 
I think he kicked the hand, actually, not the ball out so of his so hands. What is it this? was a clear foul. Maybe it was, you know, a tough, tough, you know, situation for referee to, to, to again, see. Again, it was a crucial moment in the game. Yes, with so, one so minute and 15 seconds Lekavich left. was making a pump fake. Mm -hmm. Hunter jumped, and while landing, he kicked yeah. the ball or the hand. But, yeah, but he kicked it. So if not, a, that's a kick, violation. It was open layup. So it's a violation. Yeah, it has to be called, but it wasn't okay. But listen, the second timeout, uh, Trinkieri okay. is calling uh, Lukas Lekavicius the midget. What do you think about that moment? Because it, you know, it was appreciated uh, in Lithuania, not in a very good way. Uh, people were really hot about this, <sighs> and it had you know mixed opinions. Of course, it's offensive, but this is what you get when you're broadcasting the timeouts. And this is a game time situation. It was probably a four quarter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Heat and well, moments. Well, when you choose to broadcast uncensored timeouts and everything that the coach says goes to the TV, what do you expect? The F words are always there, all these other things that shouldn't be on television. This is another example. I'm not a big fan of it. NBA does it more sterile, uh, where only some parts come out. They cut everything, and they just give you the good stuff, where the coach is inspiring his team, where the coach is uh, giving a motivational speech or something like that. A little glimpse at some tactical details, but just a little bit. And when you have the whole time out on television... Sometimes it's going to happen. There are a lot of emotions. We know Andrea Trinchieri. He is um, a passionate coach who is sometimes a little bit arrogant. So I'm not really surprised about him calling an opposing team's player a midget. I mean, maybe he apologized to Lukas Lekavicius. I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know if Lukas Lekavicius cares about that. But yeah, it's shouldn't be on television. Yeah, it sounds bad. It looks bad. But at the same time, you always need to understand the context, you know, uh, what was happening around that situation. And in general, I don't see any tragedy. No, I don't care about it. I'm just saying that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. The EuroLeague needs to think it over, whether it's uh, valuable for them to broadcast everything. That's it. That's, I don't have anything else to say about it. For the last part of our podcast, we have some fan mail. Okay. We don't have any mail, actually. Yeah, It's a question if we have a lot of fans, but we created our own fan mail. We are reacting uh, uh, to all the comments we had after the last our last podcast, and we took few of the most interesting uh, comments, and personally, we, agreed, we both agreed before the podcast that Onur uh, Adali uh, mail uh, comment was really interesting. Uh, I will read it. Uh, when I was working uh, for Galatasaray, I was surprised how one fan was waiting for our team at the airport in Konas to get signatures from everyone in the crew, not only limited to players. I know how basketball is f the first sports in Lithuania, and uh, I had the privilege to sign for the fan even though I was just a team manager. Uh, I was feeling same when I was a hardcore FS fan in late 90s. I'm, a sti I'm still a fan, uh, though desperately was waiting for FS EuroLeague title. Uh, just to make a short comment, uh, that fan is really crazy. Now he's on on the next level. He's taking selfless, 
selfies with all the players, with all the team members, even you know some physiotherapists and stuff like that. Uh, and the f- funny thing is that he's not just taking selfies with phone; he's uh, taking selfies with camera. So it looks so so funny at the same time. But this is something special about that guy because he's coming uh, to you know to. Uh, to the arri- arrival hall of, of all the airports to meet all the teams uh, visiting Jalgiris. Uh, but to continue my 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 um, comment of Onur Adali, uh, when I was a part of 2016-17 Galatasaray men's basketball team, I had a chance to work with Coach Ataman. He has a character not everybody favors. I like him and also don't like him at the same time. He only wanted to deal with people with wealth and some title. We were sharing the same arena, Abdi Pekci, with FS at that time for practice and I was treated with respect by Coach Perasovic at that time. I strongly believe Ataman's approach to player have changed uh, to players have changed while he was not coaching any team before signing with FS after the last Galatasaray season. Above all, I can say that Ataman has a character of winner who just needs to work on leadership skills. I believe that he worked on himself and his approach was much more friendly while he works for FS. This was a crucial factor for FS EuroLeague title. So shout out to Onur Adali. Yeah, and really it, interesting story. It is kind of something you would imagine about yeah. Ergin Ataman and his changes in 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 mentality in man management in the recent years in building success with the uh, FS. So this comment basically proves a point which most of us were making in the past couple of years. Yeah, Ataman was a like dictator uh, before yeah, yeah. he had some you know, crazy in Italy, crazy in Italy, punishments. In Turkey, Whenever he went, to, yeah, he was crazy, but now he's different. And maybe that's, that was really the reason why FS finally got the title. So another one which uh, seemed to me quite on, quite spot on. Mm-hmm. It was by Ofir Hajaj. I'm sorry if I'm not pronouncing it correctly. It was about Maccabi and their point guard situation. Uh, it says, Nate Walters is so underrated. When he was a point guard in Maccabi, they were crushing teams by 40. Like I said in the beginning of the season, Maccabi's season depends on Keenan Evans. Maccabi's issue now is that they don't have any EuroLeague-level point guard, and then the default, the, the default is Scotty, who is a shoot-first guard. To get the ball, then the offense looks bad. Evans and Ziff both are disappointing. Maccabi needs one of them to play EuroLeague-level ball to fulfill the potential. And this is the a, a comment which I agree to almost 100%, because... Scotty Wilbekin is not a true point guard. He loves having the ball in his hands. He's a ball handler, but he's definitely a scoring guard who is taking a lot of shots off the screen. Basically, the center for Scotty Wilbekin needs to provide a good screen so he can shoot the ball. And when he's shooting good, the team is winning, but he has those off nights where the shots are not falling. And this is where you need a true point guard. And it's a good point about Nate Walters, who is really an underrated player. Maybe he is underrated because of his, of his injuries. But we see him now playing for Zvezda doing these good things and being a true leader. So yeah, I would agree that uh, Maccabi to play better would need a floor general, a true point guard who could uh, complement Yeah, it's like Scotty Wilbekin. Shane Larkin. Scotty Wilbekin reminds me Shane Larkin a lot and he needs uh, that kind of point guard who would have all these Vasilya Misic uh, qualities. True floor general, which will be much more calm uh, on the court, who could control the team, who could run the uh, the team, and it 
probably would give even more space for Scotty Wilbekin to use his uh, strengths on an offensive end. And the last comment, okay, first of all, uh, Antonio de Jesus Castro from um, sending greetings from Mex- Mexico. So shout out to Antonio. Uh, and then Ed Legenda uh, has a comment and he says that uh, afraid to talk about Lanova's worst season ever? Uh, uh, question mark. This is so sad. I follow all podcasts and you're the only one who do not criticize him as he as he is a part of our, your project. But okay, let it be a lesson for you guys for future. Secondly, look at his stats and behavior on the court and yada yada. I mean, so we're really afraid to uh, criticize our one of our shareholders. <laughs> well, you know, um, you can criticize someone, and I must say that Lanovas is not having a good season so far on offense. His numbers are low, uh, but we know that uh, Martin Schiller was kind of using him as a pick and roll type of player, which he's not. He's a really specific forward that needs to play back to the basket in these post up situations. He. Looking at him, I I think that he forgot how to play these post-ups because he didn't have the opportunities in Fenerbahce. He didn't have them in the beginning of the season in Jalgiris. Jures Dofts is trying to use him a little bit in these positions. But uh, if you look at the last game, Dofts played Lanovas for like 33, 34 minutes. So he needed him on defense. He obviously is treating Lanovas as a key player. I think there will be some games where where he starts scoring and and putting numbers, but he's not that type of a player. Basically, Ulanovas is a player that is so dependent on a coach. If the coach is not right for him, you will see Ulanovas and think like it's a Lithuanian league player, not a EuroLeague player. But when it was with Jesikavicius, you thought, wow, he's a great small forward. Any team would love to have him. Therefore, he signed with Fenerbahce. So... We'll see what happens during the season, but definitely if I think that someone is worth some criticism, I will say it doesn't matter who the, who, who he is. Lanovas, Lekavicius, Kalinietis, or somebody else. Yeah, we were probably, uh, we were praising only Josh Nebo in the beginning of the season. I mean, all most of Maybe all Maybe Strelnix a little bit. Yeah, a little bit, yeah, despite his defensive weaknesses and stuff like that. But what I want to say about Olan was, yeah, he's, uh, he's having very inefficient uh, numbers so far. He makes only 20% of twos and 22% of threes. He's averaging 4.4 points in 20 minutes. But as you mentioned, uh, he played in the system where he was a used he was used as a pick and roll player. He was making threes after dribble, which he never did uh, before. And uh, besides all these reasons, uh, you don't need you cannot forget that he didn't play in the Euroleague since March. Uh, he had very uncomfortable uh, injury, which forced him to uh, miss the summer of the national team, and. As you know, playing that season in Fener, where, where he also wasn't used in a system where he would feel much better, he just l- probably not just lost the sense of how to use his strengths, but also lost that kind of confidence in his yeah. post-up moves. And actually, despite his numbers, he his numbers were also low in the last game against Bayern, but at least he had some very efficient post-up situations where he drew a double team, uh, defense where he started, you know, uh, sharing the ball. He made some good passes, although his teammates didn't make uh, their shots. But 
these plays were good. And for example, instead of, I don't remember how many assists he had, but he could have uh, have like four or five assists. Potential. Assists yeah, if, if all if these the shots were blurred. made. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, he, he, he will need time. And again, uh, answering the question, answering the comment actually, Replying to the comment, he's not the worst part of Jalgiris. Uh, <laughs> and, and it's just too much, too much pressure on a, on a role player. If we talk about yeah, offense, yeah. he's a role player on yeah. offense. I know he's one of the higher paid players for Jalgiris, but that's just because he's a Lithuanian. There, you you will always face this issue that you need to have good Lithuanian players. There are not so many of them on the market, and you have to pay them money. And when they're not playing, okay. People will say, why are they paying him this? Why are they paying him that? It was always the same about Jankunas and his previous contract when he was on a big contract last year. So it is what it is. Yeah, so pretty much it. Thanks a lot for your comments. Uh, we wait for even yeah. more comments. And just for a minute, probably finishing the podcast because I know you have to run. Let's just mention a few games that oh yeah sorry that, i missed that, skip that part yeah, actually let's just yeah. ma- mention a few games for, for, for this double game week let's say the ones to watch uh-huh for me personally i'm looking forward to the second part of the double game week to see monaco play csk mike james not a lot the first of be, game against not a lot of he said Damn. mike james facing dimitri studios is gonna be a good one it's in going monaco. to be a long night for daniel hackett i think and it it will be it will go. Maybe Kurbanov will be put on him, knowing that uh, oh, yeah. Tudis loves to use his forwards to pressure the mm-hmm. opponent's point guard to pressure the ball. Kurbanov could be doing this job. Clyburn could be doing it. I can imagine Mike James having twenty field goals or something like that. I can imagine him dominating. At <laughs> the same time, I can imagine him having a horrible night. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> nothing in the middle. It, it yeah, will go. Yeah. Very Either different one way or the other. Yes, yes, yes. Also, I would say Fenerbahce Barcelona will be an interesting one. Fenerbahce will be playing at home, expecting to win against one of these elite teams. And uh, uh, I don't know. Other games seem like okay. You'll find something to watch definitely. But these are the ones that to me look the most. Yeah, very important week for Fenerbahce. Uh, we already mentioned that they lost two games, which they could easily won. And now they're hosting Barcelona and playing against Olympiacos away. So we are talking about two potential losses. And you can imagine Fenerbahce starting the season 2-5. That would be a horrible uh, start for them. And the same uh, about Zenit. They're having Real Madrid and Basconia. And without Shabazz Napier, it will be very difficult. And they have the same... Oh, they have three victories so far. But still, 3-4. Oh. Uh, also... Very, very um, important week for them. So we have 18 games. Yeah. And also the last one, uh, Bayern against Milan. Mm-hmm. Messina against Rukieri. It was great playoff series. series. It was amazing. Some heated moments. Yeah, there will be a lot ah. of emotions. Bayern finally got their first win. They're feeling better now. Lucic is back. It should be a good game. It's going to be played in Munich. So home court. This one could be interesting as well. A lot of basketball in front of us. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a good week. Rytis Vishnauskas, Donatos Rubunas, thanks for uh, listening. And uh, yeah, watch all our podcasts on basketnews.com and Basket News YouTube channel. And leave some comments, please. And use NordVPN. NordVPN.com slash Urbonus and you will uh, get a great deal.